What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. All right, buddy. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing? No, thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Ross from Switchback Outdoors. Um, it's been a while. Uh, we were, we met up in Colorado We've met up, I don't know, once or twice, but in Colorado, we were on a, not in the same unit. So we uh, kind of crossed paths a few times and um, Jim, who's a good friend of yours, good friend, our mutual friend, Jim, who uh, who's reluctantly been on the podcast a few times. I've had to like con him into it, but um, yeah, good to sit down with you. You got some really cool stuff going on right now, the icon tours um, on YouTube and whatnot. So I just want to jump on, talk some hunting, um, get your opinions on things and all that. Like how you been, man? No, it's been good. I've been editing like crazy. We launched the icon tour January 3rd. This year it was the icon tour of the species. So we did like our first year, I think when we first did the podcast with you, we did the icon tour where we hunted like the four States and 16 days from mule deer. Yeah. And this year we did the species. So we hunted moose, elk, whitetail, and mule deer all in the year and then kind of video documented it all and, and just compiled it all. And it's been, it's been pretty amazing so far. We've had a lot of growth since our first icon tour. We just broke over 21,000 subscribers, which is awesome for YouTube, yeah, especially for a hunting man. channel, but yeah, no, I mean, isn't it? It's so it's quite the journey, right? <laughs> oh, it's uh, crazy. Like when, when you first start a YouTube channel or like you with a podcast, you're just like, man, I hope, you know, I can get a is few anybody listening? <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, okay, is this actually working? And like this year we definitely feel it a lot more than we have in the past as far as people really enjoying it and um, engaging with us with the comments. And I mean, it's, it's been great so far. We, I started off this year. So we started January 3rd, my wife drew a moose tag in Idaho. And so if you would have went in chronological order, it would have been probably like the middle of the season. I was like, I got to start something like really good. So we started off with the moose hunt and uh, <clears throat> we did, I mean, the response for that was, was just amazing. I mean, once in a lifetime tag, the emotion she showed after she shot her bull, which was a great, like almost 47 inch bull. And it was just amazing to kind of, start off with a bang like that. And then we went into backcountry elk hunting and next upcoming will be our, our uh, mule deer hunts. And then we're finishing up it with a uh, whitetail in South Dakota. So it was quite a bit of traveling. We drove right through your neck of the woods. I guess we, we were stopped in eight of the place and Craig Narzal was like across the bar from us yeah. at that restaurant. And we didn't even know he was there at the same time. I think he was staying with you at the same time or something yeah, like yeah. that. So no, that's kind of crazy. Uh, I want to get into like kind of the YouTube stuff uh, and, and talk, you know, just growing a channel and all that. Um, that seems to be a popular thing and it, it's interesting man. Um, watching some of these channels go grow and, and the struggles and like all that. But first I kind of want to talk about some of these hunts um, and kind of something in general, like from your perspective, uh, you know, like as you've kind of grown as a hunter, you also seen a lot of input from your viewers on YouTube and whatnot. Um, and kind of, you've done a lot of it. You've done, you know, the different icon tours, you, a lot of different things. Like 
in your from your perspective like what is popular right now or like what are people really engaging with the most is it like the is it the backcountry thing is it just deer hunting in general like or hunting out west in general like what do you see as what are people engaging with the most I think the most popular YouTube channels are archery elk hunting. And unfortunately for like me, I'm a terrible archery elk hunter. <laughs> and so if you're not a very good archery elk hunter, you're not going to get very good archery elk hunting videos. Mm. And so that's kind of the downfall for us right now is we don't have a strong suit on archery elk hunting. Cause I, th- I feel like archery elk hunting for anyone in the U S is like, that's kind of like the ultimate, that's like the pinnacle of a Western hunt is coming out and chasing bulls while they're bugling. Yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of where it's at. But we've had a lot of focus this year, especially like when comments and different things was family. They love mm-hmm. seeing families hunting and they love seeing, uh, you know, young kids involved. And like, like I said, when my wife shot her moose, we had our two oldest boys with us. And the comments on that, I mean, I would say 80% of the comments were, it's so awesome seeing families out and hunting. And yeah. so I think that's kind of where we're focused. I think they want to see the next generation of hunters being involved. Um, but with that being said, also, sometimes when I do a youth hunting video, when I, you know, on the comments or on the title, I'll say youth hunter, like that video won't do that well. So then I'm like, okay, the people say they like to see youth hunts, but then <laughs> they really don't like, I don't know if in, in their mind, they think since the youth hunt, it's not going to be as extreme of a hunt. Yeah. And so they're like, well, it's not going to be as fun to watch because it's just a youth hunter. But then like my one, my oldest son, Brody, we, we go into the wilderness, you know, 10 miles on horseback and it, it's an amazing hunt. But like I said, if I, if I shoot a buck and I put that video out, a lot of times I'll get double the views of him on the exact same hunt if he shoots a buck, which yeah. is just mind-boggling to me that it's like, it, I, I always think like, okay, his is going to do a lot better because it's a youth. And do you ever feel like it's, it's a blind guess and check of like what your audience wants to see? Because I feel like that with a podcast, you're like, uh, maybe we'll try this. Or people say they want to see one thing and then like the, the, the downloads don't you know, equal what that should be. <laughs> so you feel like it's a blind guess and check with content. Oh, it is. With, I don't know if it's like the YouTube algorithm or what it is. Like yeah. this year, I was like, okay, my wife's moose hunt. I was like, it's going to be the number one video on the icon tour, like hands down. Yeah. Like I was like guaranteed and it took off great. But then the very next episode, we were going in the backcountry elk hunting in September on horses. And I think the title of it was like into the unknown. And I had like an, like the, the thumbnail was a picture of me on a horse or whatever. And that one like caught up to it like five days after the moose hunt, it already had already caught up to it and there's yeah. no kills in it. There's no animals in it. There was nothing. It was just us pretty much packing in with the horses and different things. And so I'm like, okay, well this is, you know, this is a lot different than I was expecting. And so I don't know if it's like the YouTube algorithm or if it's just the people, like I honestly have no idea. Like there's no rhyme or reason what video is going to take off versus a, a different video. Yeah. You know, and it's funny cause <clears throat> I would say the same thing. Um, I do, I try to do a horse hunt every year. And if, you know, I post pictures you know, this year, last year, I guess, um, we went to, to Idaho and we did a, a horseback hunt and, and we, you know, crushed a bunch of elk and it was good, a good trip. Uh, it was just like, it was a hunt with just old school buddies of mine. And, uh, you know, that I get so many comments like, that's my dream hunt. That's my dream hunt. And to some degree, it's like, you have to stay true to who you are and keep doing what you want to do. Um, and like, that's kind of why I did that hunt. It was like, man, this is a hunt, me and my buddies, or not that particular unit, but you know, the type of hunt we've done, um, since long before I even had a podcast. And it was like, man, that's what I want to do. That's like the type of things I want to go do. It was like with my good buddies, you know, go on horseback into a place we don't even know and see what we can turn up. And, you know, I think people really, 
they fantasize about that. Like, that's a big dream for everyone, right? Like, a horseback elk hunt in the backcountry, whether it's rifle or bow. Or, yeah, rifle or bow. It doesn't – I don't think it really matters. But, you know, just kind of doing those cool things. But then, you know, you have you where you do – you what well, last year you had your your son and your dad. So it was, like, three generations on a really cool backcountry hunt. And that's, like – that's so cool. I mean, views aside, who really cares? Like, that's how many times you get to experience that. Oh yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, like, you can't take away anything from it. I think it's just more my mindset of being like, okay, trying to figure out what mm. people want to see. Yeah. And that was the one I was talking about, like with on that same hunt that I shot my buck and I got double the views of what my son's hunt got. Yeah. And, like his was the very next day. And to me, his hunt was way cooler than my hunt, but that's me personally because yeah, it was my day. son. And, yeah. but yeah, that hunt was absolutely amazing. And then the craziest thing is, so I took all those daily videos from that hunt and then we put it into one, I used to call it like a mega hunt it was like 45 minutes long and yeah. posted that one. And it's like almost close to a hundred thousand views. Yeah. And so it's like, so then I'm like, okay, do people like longer videos? Do people like shorter videos? Like for me personally, like if I see a super long video, I have a harder time watching that one because I'm like, okay, I got to, you know, a lot, 45 minutes to an hour to watch this video versus yeah. one that's 20 minutes. I'll sit down and watch. But then on the flip side, like I said, like that one was 45 plus minutes and people ate it up. So it's the, 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 the mind boggling thing is trying to figure out what people want to see. And, and I don't know if we'll ever figure that out. <laughs> no, we had this conversation cause uh, I filmed a hunt with the bearded butcher guys and we were talking about it and we were talking about, you know, short clips versus long clips. And I was like, man, I, I don't know. Like I could give you what I watch or consume, but I can't tell you what other, I'm not, you know, I'm not a YouTuber. I don't have the analytics for it. And I, I told those guys like, you guys should do it however you want to do it because I feel like them coming into making a hunting film, whatever, um, with no background is better than me trying to say, like, don't go study all these other hunting channels and figure out, like, just do it your way. Um, and, you know, they made uh, longer videos. And, like, it's not something I would have, like, I don't consume content like obviously we sat down with the kids and watched it because i was in it and whatnot um but uh but like like you said like i look at it as like i like shorter clips because i it's time issue but there's so many people that love to like immerse and hear the you know more to it or hear the backstory or whatever um and so like i i think there's definitely consumers on both ends of the spectrum and i think like when you look at yourself as a youtube channel like you're creating a product for a, a the, ideally a mass audience right so you have to have pieces of both because there's going to be people that have like long content and there's people that like short content um balancing that i think is the key right oh yeah and it's amazing like when i sit down and look at analytics of a video and figure out how many because you can go through and see how many minutes people yeah. watch and different things and i mean like on my wife's moose hunt, i was going to look at it real quick it was it's at like ten thousand seven hundred fifty nine views but then watch time in minutes is over like one hundred twenty five thousand minutes yeah of watch time. That's crazy. So like I always go through and I'm like, okay, 125,000 divided by 60 gives you 2,083 divided by 24. That's 86 days worth of <laughs> video watched. And you're yeah. just like, it's kind of, you're just like, okay, that's pretty insane to think about yeah. how, how much people spend on, on a computer watching videos, which is great. I mean, I don't want them not to, but yeah. then you're like, man, that's a lot of views and a lot of people watching things things in a week and a half's time 
And so it's, it, that's what I always like to see is figure out how many minutes, how many, you know, cause I'm like, okay, that shows how many people are really watching these. And it, it even goes through and shows you how long they're watching the video, what duration they're watching it. And so you can really like geek out and start looking at it, all the analytics. And then I don't know if it really helps that much, but like I was even going through like you and they said on your thumbnails, you don't want to use red and white and black because that's YouTube's colors. Mm. So you want to do use thumbnails with different colors to catch people's eyes. I mean, I went down a rabbit hole just trying to figure things out when to launch videos this year and, and changed everything up. And so far it seems to be working. I really like those new thumbnails on the, on this icon tour. Um, the orange man it just pops really well um yeah when how long ago did you start your youtube channel so i started it it was december of 2012 wow long time ago and like what's what was kind of the goal then and i I was i want to kind of get in like what was your goal now like how, how do you see it going forward the goal the beginning was just I, I always wanted to video my own hunts just to rewatch them. Um, so regardless of YouTube or not, like when I originally started, I was wanted to just do Vimeo because I was like, I don't want to do YouTube. Everyone does. YouTube. I want to do Vimeo. And pretty soon I was like, okay, Vimeo is not cutting it. Like YouTube's where it's at. That's where people want to watch the videos. And so that's when I kind of started the YouTube side of things. And, but like the goal at the beginning, there was honestly, there wasn't a goal. It was just like, I'm just going to start videoing and I'll make a cool name and we'll just see where it goes from there. And it, I mean, like I said, the progression over time, I remember when I got my first thousand subscribers, I was like, okay, this is the greatest thing ever. I can do custom thumbnails now, like a thousand people. And that was funny because since like January, since the launch of the icon two, we've got over like 1500 new subscribers, you know, and I'm like, Oh, that's not very much. Then I started thinking like, okay, if that would have been in the beginning. I would have been like elated to be like, okay, I can't believe I got 1500 subscribers. Yeah. And so, I mean, the grind with it, that's last year we had a lot of growth and we almost thought over 10,000 new subscribers. Um, and that all just came from, I started uploading every week, every Tuesday we'd upload a new video. Um, luckily I do a lot of bear hunting over here where I live, we can bait bears. And so I'd take a lot of youth out and first time bear hunters. And, and so it was awesome to I could create that content pretty easily. Yeah. Um, but I'm already thinking about what I got to do to go into, to get us through the end of the icon tour through the next fall to get into the different yeah. hunts. So I guess as far as, Go ahead. No, you can finish. Oh, no, I was going to say, as far as goals now, I mean, ultimately, it's it's the same. Like, I love video, like, watching my personal videos, um, and especially now having my kids old enough to hunt. Like, my second oldest son, he, he can hunt this year in Idaho. Yeah. And I think that's the greatest thing is being able to watch back. And my dad, you know, he's getting older. And so, like, him being able to go on these hunts with us and with the horses in the backcountry. And I know he watches. I mean, probably a lot of – the reason a lot of those view or those videos have a ton of views is my dad. Like anyone that walks into their house, Hey, have you seen this elk hunt that I'm on? Hey, have you seen this? You see yeah. the three generation hunt. And so it's, it's just awesome to be able to, to relive the hunt. Just um, to document it really. It is. And, and I've learned a lot over the time. Like I used to take a one minute clip and then I found out I was using like five seconds of that clip. And so now I've kind of reworked a lot to where I just take a ton of shorter clips. Cause I usually end up like, if it's going to go into the B roll, it's going to be usually have a song. And so I always try to, to edit with the beat. And so most beats are four seconds. So I learned, I end up using four seconds of a, you know, a 30 second, uh. 10 second clip. And so now I take a lot of more of the, the like 10 second duration and then use those different clips and kind of piece it all together in the timeline. That's which is actually really smart. 
yeah, because when I'm when I'm driving home from a hunt, I already kind of have an idea how I'm going to lay everything out. But like I said, I was just filling up my computer with, <laughs> with memory because it's like, okay, I've got 50 gigabytes and I'm going to end up using five gigabytes of, of memory. Yeah. And you're just, okay, this, this doesn't make sense because it slows everything down. It's a lot harder to go through and find which, which clips you need. And uh, so, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of learning curve over the years and people say like, on the, like the comments, it's like, I can tour keeps getting better and better. And I'm like, I feel like I'm doing the exact same thing as I was the first year, but then I go back and watch the first year's videos. I'm like, and I, I could so have done this different, done this different, done this different. And, uh, but no, it's, it's been amazing. Like, so the goals, it's definitely turned into a business, which is great. Um, I mean, ultimately you want everything, even if you started off as fun and you can make money at it, you're like, okay, that's, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so goals is mostly just, you know, being able to show everyone that wants to watch our videos kind of, we try to keep it as real as possible. We try to, you know, show the ups and the downs and, and everything. And so ultimately our goal is just to, to showcase our hunts to people that might not have the chance. Cause a lot of the people once again, jumping into YouTube analytics and you can look and see where everyone's watching. We get a lot of people from down East or back, back East, Southeast that are watching these videos and it's, it's their dream to come out West. And like you and I, we're super lucky to live where we do yeah. just, just on the, the sheer fact of what people want to see and, and watch on a, on a hunting channel. And so it's been pretty lucky so far, but I don't know. I need to sit down and figure out some more goals because like I said, it's definitely turning more into the business side of things versus just out having fun. You kind of have people, oh, yeah. well, what are you doing this? What are you doing this year? What are you doing next year? What are you doing? And you're just like, okay, I need to probably figure this out. And, but if it turns into too much of a job, it's not as fun. So I try to not think of it too much like that. Well, that's, yeah, that's another thing is like, it's, it's tough to balance these things with like making it your job. And also being successful, you don't want to ride in that middle ground because there's a lot of, you know, you start a thing and at first everyone has, I think it's like a self-defense mechanism where you're like, oh, we'll see where it goes. And, you know, maybe I'll just do it for a little bit, you know, and that's, that's a really good self, self-defense mechanism, not failing. Right. So like when I started the podcast, it was like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll do it. You know, maybe I'll learn, maybe I'll meet some people like don't think much of it. And then you like, you get into that middle ground where you have to try really, really hard and it's either going to become a job and, or become successful and you have to be very cognizant of how you create those things um, because it is easy to just let it become a job or too too time consuming or it doesn't make enough money or you just sit in that grind phase where you're just like working at it you're like it's just it's borderline successful but not you know those things so um yeah what advice do you have for people who want to create a youtube channel like a successful youtube channel I would think just uploading regular content. I mean, it's, it's going to, like I said, it's going to be a grind. Like you watch some videos and you'll see some that has a hundred subscribers and they'll have a video that gets, you know, a hundred thousand views. And so they, they see those ups and then their next video will get 500 views. So you can't, you just got to keep doing what you want to do. If you're not excited about it and it's not something you're really passionate about, probably don't want to try to get into it because it does take a lot of time. Not only, hunting and trying to capture the video. And then when you're getting back home, you got to, you know, my, I hate like uploading the video to my computer. I don't know why it's like, but I hate sitting there and waiting for it. And then, cause I just want to jump in and see what happens. Yeah. And editing takes forever, like, especially these icon tour. It's crazy. Like the first year I did, I did a video every day for 16 days. And it was just like, just, it was crazy. And then the, the bad thing was 
you didn't really get a lot of time to promote the video from the day before because it, the next you one was already done. One, yeah. So I think that really kind of killed us. And then last year we did, uh, you know, three videos a week. And then this week or this year we're doing two videos a week, which has been great because I've been able to go back and promote a video and, um, you know, okay. Have you been, did you watch episode five? Episode six is coming up, you know, in a few yeah. days. Um, so I think having a plan of attack that way it has really helped me with, with the YouTube channel i've been like the icon to one specific project that you're going to dedicate you know you're pretty much your whole entire fall to which this year was super easy because we did the species so every animal that we hunted we were able to document and um i think just going in that that's definitely helped and i've seen the most growth from the icon tour versus just releasing videos here and there and youtube likes to see engagement they like to see consistent uploads and so at least once or twice a week, twice a week would be amazing, but like once a week, if you want to start there, um, and you never know, like I said, you never know what's going to take off. So if you do a gear review on something, like I said, one will get a hundred views and the next one you do the exact same way, but it's a different product could get tens of thousands of views. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get down on yourself, especially when you're starting. And even me now, I mean, I still get down on myself on a video it just like Steven Talbot's little brother shot. Uh, a cow elk on our latest video of the icon tour and it got it's at like 3,000 views or something like that and I'm like okay okay why is this like this and so it's, <laughs> it's easy to all question yourself and and to get down on yourself and so I think just being consistent and just if you're not passionate about it it's you're gonna have a hard time trying to stick with it and what do you, what do you think is like the size of a YouTube channel that you can say, okay, this is going to be a business. So, um, you know, I, within the podcast, I don't know, I guess it depends. Like there's a lot of different rev models. So if you want to like, Hey, I want to make this a business. I want to go all in. Um, the struggle people have when they go out on their own, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube channel, you know, any content creators So you want to create content and in the hunting space, uh, you have to grow to a certain size before you can really start monetizing that. Uh, what size do you think that is within the kind of the YouTube uh, realm or YouTube space? And maybe we could talk about just different, you know, rev streams and things like that. Like how do you monetize a podcast or a, a YouTube channel? Because like there's YouTube ads, but I assume it takes quite a bit of growth or size to, for that to be like a full-time business. Yeah. I mean, you look into like Google AdSense and yeah. I mean, it's, it's hardly worth it. I actually stopped monetizing any videos pretty much just because I'd rather my viewers be able to watch with ad free versus mm -hmm. a ad pop up for a shampoo or something like that. <laughs> um, even though they can skip it in five seconds or whatnot, but like when you look at how much money you're making from that, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. Especially so I've really kind of away from phase. that. Yeah. So like for, for me, though, I mean, sponsors is, is the biggest thing, which always runs into, you know, the issues of, oh, well, you're just using that because they're a sponsor, but you know, that type of deal. And it's kind of gotten to like, when I first started, it was literally, I would let anyone sponsor that wanted to sponsor just to have a record. You know, it's like, oh, so-and-so sponsor switchback. They must be legit. And, yeah. you know, and so now it's, I mean, it's been great because now we have had companies contacting us and saying, Hey, we want to work with you. And then, I mean, so that's always a, a great benefit when that starts happening because you can kind of be a little pickier on what you want to use versus just using it because, okay, they, they said they'll sponsor me and that's really yeah. cool, you know? And so that's definitely been a big change um, in that aspect. But yeah, I mean, for as far as money goes, I mean, man, I mean, you could, I mean, you're going to make money with 
you know, five to 10,000 subscribers. Um, you're definitely not going full time. I don't know if there really is a set time because everyone values everything differently. If you get with a good company that sees you as a huge asset, they're willing to do more with you versus a company that really might not see you as an asset. Like they have, maybe they've got 10 YouTube channels that they're working with yeah. and you're in the middle versus someone that has one YouTube channel and you're that YouTube channel. I mean, that makes all the difference. Um, so I don't know if there's a really set subscriber base, but I think if you get around five to 10,000, you're going to start making some money off of it. You're still going to have to have a, you know, a full-time job. Um, I'm lucky that, you know, I'm self-employed on my full-time job as well, which allows me to pretty much do switch back full-time. Like yeah. my full -time, I do freight brokering. And so I line up semis to go across the country, loading product and different things like that. But then I'm just a, an independent contractor. And so I can take off the days that I want. Um, I can, I'm my own boss. And so that definitely helps out with hunting because like this year, shoot, I think I, from September through November, I hunted 45 days you know, capturing video and different things like that. And if yeah. you have a full-time job, there's no way, you know, a full-time job yeah. where you only get two weeks vacation, it's not going to happen. You're going to wind up without a job. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, definitely have something. I mean, I like to be diverse in everything, even if, I mean, switchback goes to where it's making me like I could do it full-time. I think I'll always have something else because yeah. the world we live in, I mean, especially for me, I'm always nervous with hunting on YouTube. Yeah, they could shut it down any day. They could shut it down like today. And I'd be like, well, this is, that was sucks, fun. you know, like what <laughs> do I do from here? So the last couple of years, I've been really focusing on trying to grow, you know, email marketing, which I know people hate. It is the worst thing. I hate doing email marketing because I don't ever open them, but I'm like, that's the only way I can keep my business the way it is. If YouTube takes away hunting yeah. on their, on YouTube, I mean, who, how else do I get my videos out there? It's like either yeah. I just fold up after, you know, almost 10 years and just be like, okay, well, I guess I'm done. That was fun. Yeah. And so it's like, so you got to always be trying to think ahead and that's, that's a hard one when it's something like that, that's totally out of your control. I mean, you could just be like, yep, you're done. Well, that's the, the inherent problem with content mark or con being a content creator, I guess, is that you're, you're basically just leveraging the popularity of whatever platform is there. So you're essentially building your business on the back of another business. And that's, that's a risky business. You know, like there's a lot oh, of companies yeah. that built their, their company on the back of Facebook. And then when Facebook like changed their algorithm, like they were done, you know, and that's, that's always tough. So yeah, building any company on the back of another company is, is just kind of risky. Um, but like, I think that's a good point you make about, you know, having another job that gives you that freedom. You know, if I, if I had, you know, some 20 year old, 22 year old, even who, whoever they're like, Hey, I want to, I want to get, into hunt, hunting i want to get into content creation or i am a great hunter i want to you know i want to start a youtube channel whatever i would be i would say find you find yourself a job that allows you freedom and at least enough money to like cover your basis first because that gives you room to be creative it gives you room to take risks and i think there is something to be said for, you know, burning the ships and not going back. But uh, more times than not, the people I find that became successful creators had some kind of a safety net, you know, a job or, you know, they had this little side business that at least covered their expenses um, and things like that. I mean, I think that's huge advice. It's like you, you take more risks, you're more creative when you have security. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at Randy Newberg. One of yeah, the you know, most popular YouTube channels on YouTube, creating content daily, and he's still an accountant. 
Yeah. And so he still has his, you know, his full-time job. I'm sure he's structured it a lot different than it was when it first started, but he still has that career to fall back on. He's not just putting all, like he said, all his eggs in one basket and say, okay, this is it. Actually, I think, I think he sold, sold his interest in that, but to, the, to yeah, to your, to your oh. point, the entire time he built, um, you know, on your own adventures, it, he had that fallback or that safety net. Oh yeah. And so I think that's the, the greatest thing. And then, like you said, hopefully when you're lucky enough to get like Randy now, yeah. um, it's like, you've, you've made it. Yeah. You, um, you can reach a certain point where you can like step away from your, your day to, you know, day to day job. And I don't, I don't care what it is. Like you, even a starting a business, you know, people want to quit their job and start a business. It's like, no, you just need to stop watching TV and, and, uh, and go create a business on the side. And while you have your job, you have that safety net. Then I think YouTube's no different. I think you can do that. Oh yeah. And I think I mean, like even watching this, this one Instagram page where it's like eight to five is to where you make your money. Like six to nine is where you build your empire. So yeah. There's still a lot of time out there. And that's the cool thing about if you want to do content, there's no timeline on YouTube. I mean, you can, yeah. up, you can be editing till three o'clock in the morning. You can be uploading, you know, you want to. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely something if, if you, if, if, even if someone wants to try it, jump in and try it, just have the mindset. Like if, if it's just for you, then it's like, okay, this is fun. I get to see my, my own hunts. I get to see my friends or whatever on YouTube and we kind of see where it goes from there. Cause it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. I mean, YouTube costs you absolutely nothing to upload videos. So you're not, so even if you want to like, what other business do you have out there that you can just start with zero dollars? Yeah. I mean, start creating videos with your phone to start with. Do and then once you make off. a little bit of money, you can up, you know, buy upgrade cameras. And I mean, that's the coolest thing. Like any businesses that I've ever kind of got into, I'm like, okay, what can I do with relatively low cost to start, which has the opportunity to, you know, create, make capital gains on You're just like, okay, what can I do? And like I said, YouTube, it doesn't cost anything. So yeah. if that, that's one thing that people should never be afraid of because it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> that's true except for time um, yeah time what's your, what's your biggest mistake you've made uh in your 10 years as a youtube creator i think the biggest thing i would say is i, I mean you kind of have like pro staff i guess or people that want a video with you mm-hmm. when i first started i think i had eight guys and that proved because i was like in my mindset i was like okay if i have eight guys that's eight people getting content and that's more videos yeah. but it, it was such a headache trying to keep everyone happy especially when you are getting sponsors that are you know giving product if you go to a company and say hey i need eight bows versus <laughs> a company and say hey i only need three bows they're gonna be like, okay three is a lot more attainable than eight bows and then trying to keep everyone happy um it was, that was, that was the hardest thing. And, and it kind of burned some bridges and cause you have some people thinking they did more and some people did less. And it was, that's one thing I wish I would have done differently. Just, just for the sheer fact of like, I, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. So anytime yeah. anyone's mad at me, I take it very personal. <laughs> and so I hate it. Like I hated that feeling of, of, you know, people say you use, you know, you, know, you use me to help elevate your platform and everything's like, I mean, even to this day, any, any sponsors, I get every guy that's on Switchback now, they get the exact same thing that I get um, as far as products and stuff like that. And so it's like, I've always tried to be really fair, but I think that was, that was my biggest downfall, I think, was trying to get too many people involved at once. Yeah. And then I think another big thing is I'm, especially when, when I first started, I was super excited about things. So if something exciting happened, 
I would tell them what was happening and then it might not even been a hundred percent deal, but then, <laughs> you know, type of deal, but I was just so excited. I wanted to talk to somebody. And so, yeah. if you're, you know, if, if you're on the other side of that, which I totally understand, you're like, Oh, he said he was, this was happening and now it's not happening and he doesn't, you know? And so I don't know. I think it's kind of like that thing hustle, you know, when you're hustling, be quiet about it and don't tell people what you're planning until it's actually there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, stake into that because that's one of my biggest downfalls and it wasn't like being mischievous it was just like i was just excited i just wanted yeah. to tell someone about it and so yeah. i don't know there's you got to create and when you're creating the content even now it's like i don't blame any of the guys if they don't get anything on on video or anything because that's hunting and i know how that is and but that's just something where you just gotta and my mindset is is just being okay with how the hunt happens. It's like I said, that one video that's almost cut up to my wife's moose hunt where there was an amazing kill shot. It's almost there on viewers and it didn't have anything in it. And yeah. so people, you never know what's going to take off. And so I think just having that mindset of, you know, whatever happens is going to happen, especially when you're starting um, and just being happy with what, what results you get. So you you got to feel pressure though, to like get something. I know like, say, take your backcountry elk hunt. I mean, you got to just like, feel like, man, we got to get something, <laughs> which, which is tough to add that pressure to already difficult task. Oh yeah. And like that hunt we did this year, we took the horses and we had never been in this unit before. We knew there was super low elk numbers. We knew it was going to be tough and yeah. Trying to have that pressure of, okay, we've got to create this, this content. And nope. Um, it, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, especially with that hunt, especially because it was our first hunt of the year. Yeah. And so going from, you know, from the last two years, Icon tour, we've had amazing success. And we I mean, everywhere, every, pretty much every hunt we were killing something on, which makes it, you know, people watching very happy as much <laughs> as people say they don't care about the kill shots. They care about the kill shots. Yeah. Cause like and what are so, your most popular downloads is just kill shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we did like a hunting compilation that's got 1.5 million views. Uh, and so it's like, you know, people always say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But like that hunt, it was super stressful for me because like I said, like elk are the one animal that just, I don't know. I don't have the knack for elk. Hunting. I always feel like, like archery hunting, I can get them in, but I can never like close the deal on them. And like, yeah. okay, they're standing there at 30 yards, but I just like, it's just the animal for some reason, I'm just not very good at hunting. So going into that, I'm like, okay, I got a rifle this time. So that's going to help things. But then getting in there, like our whole plan was to take the horses. We had a light set up. We had a, like a far eight man teepee. We were just going to keep moving until we saw the elk. Yeah. And we it's got in the trail systems weren't what we thought they were. And so we were, <laughs> we were stuck in the bottom with the horses. We were stuck in the bottom because you got to have the water. You got to have the feed. And so yep. we were stuck there. So we would bivy out. We, you know, we'd take off in the mornings and spend the night up on top. And we got into elk like opening day. We saw three cows and I was like, okay, this is good. Like this is a good start. And then we went around, we spent the night and it got hot. It was like 80 degrees, like sleeping up there on top. Like I didn't even sleep in my sleeping bag. The next morning we got a bull bugling down. Like, like we were on this big main ridge and camp was two and a half miles below us one way. And the bull was like two miles the opposite direction. And we had him going pretty good. And then we're like, okay, if we go down and shoot this bull, like, we're talking five miles to get back to the horses, then 10 miles back to the truck. And then, you know, 50 miles back to where a cooler and it's 80 degrees. And it kind of got to the point to where we were just like, 
I mean, like well, there were some people's comments, why didn't you go after that bull? And, and like, ultimately we were super nervous that if we shot that bull, he was going to spoil before we could get him out of there. Yeah. And that was the risk that we, like we should hindsight, we should have went later in September when hopefully the temps would have been a little cooler instead of right in the middle of September. Yeah. It was just so hot. I mean, they weren't talking and then what they were talking, like so we got that one bull, but we were just super nervous that it was going to spoil. And that's where, you got to, you know, it's like the risk versus reward. Like, yeah, I could, we maybe could have snuck down there, shot that bull, got video, but then it would have been a waste. And yeah. so it's like, it, it was kind of a tough call. Um, but ultimately, talk, I think we made the right decision. Talk a little bit about going into kind of the unknown with horses and, and the pros and cons of that. Cause um, it sounds like our Idaho trip this year, we went, um, you know, through a dart map, like, Oh, this looks good. And of course picked a, picked a trailhead and kind of similar situation, just trail. Like you just don't know what trails are going to be like, and you don't know what camp spots. And there's so many things you have to consider when you, when you're packing in on horses, cause like you need, you need to be right there at water. Um, you know, you kind of have to have a fairly large footprint to, to put a string of horses in. Like there's so many unknowns and man, we, we hit this trail and, it was like really, really good up until a certain point. And there's a reason that no one goes in that way um, because we ended up having to like just walk the river uh, for over a mile, almost two miles. Um, and then the trail was like, just no one had been down it in years. It was just brutal. And I mean, those are the things it's very stressful for everyone. that's like, Oh, my dream, my dream horseback hunt. Like it adds so much stress to a hunt. You have no idea. Um, there are benefits, but they're, definitely a lot more stressors when you when you're trying to take horses into somewhere you've never been oh definitely and i think even if it's a place you know there's still horses are are stressful i mean you have <laughs> the risk of you know if they colic we had one horse like a few years ago that started colicking in the middle of the night which that means they get like a twisted gut and like sometimes horses will die from that and so you think about that you're like okay this horse brought in my camp if it dies what do we have to do yeah um but ultimately i think it's definitely the the water situation is the biggest thing with the horses. You have to have water. And sometimes where the animals are, there's no water there. Or, yeah. you know, there might be there, they might come there, but where they're actually going to be when you're hunting them, they're not going to be there where, the, where you can get the horses to them. So I think it's definitely stressful. Like I said, trail systems, because it's a lot different hiking in on a trail. If it's a bad trail, you just walk a little softer and you know, yeah. you're going to be fine with a horse. They don't really, they don't know when to walk soft all the time. <laughs> and I had one of my horses, his leg kind of went off the, his rear leg went off the trail and I had to bail off him on this nasty hillside on the way into that hunt from this, this year's icon tour. And I bailed off. And if you ever bail off a horse, you always want to bail off to the uphill side. That way, if they do go down, you're not getting ran over. But luckily he, once I got off, he got his feet and he got back up on the trail. Um, but there was that one section of trail that was super just kind of sluffy and it made us nervous. I mean, like I grew up hunting on horses. My dad had horses. Like I've been on horses a, a ton and lots of times we'd be going when I was younger and my dad would turn around and be like, Hey, you see that? Yeah. Don't ever do that again on a horse. And we went in some nasty places, but that spot the entire time when we were in there elk hunting, I think all of us were thinking about that spot on the way back out. Yeah. And it was, you know, luckily we got out fine, but the whole, like I said, the, the stress of that, I mean, it's just, hunting as much as, you know, we want to glorify it. Sometimes it's stressful and it's hard. And, you know, we think about, we, we lose sight of the exciting part of it. And 
that was one time where we were just like, we were stressed out about the trails. We were stressed out about the heat. We were stressed out about no elk. We were stressed out there was wolves there. And so it's like, yeah. here's your, your ultimate experience and you're stressed out the entire time, which I know that's all in everyone's mindset. You can just be like, well, there's no need to stress over the things you can't control, which is true. But when you have animals and, and that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a stressful thing thinking about it. Is, is there enough feed for them? Is there yeah. water? Um, are they going to get tied up on a high line? Uh, is a wolf going to come through? I mean, there's so many different things as opposed to if you're backpack hunting, you're like, okay, I can pick up water here. I can go up there. I know how many days worth of water I have. And that's pretty much all you have to think about. Yeah. As opposed to, is this horse going to die in here? Is this horse going to have enough water? And we can't take this horse on this trail because the trail's not good. And so, I mean, there's definitely pros and cons, like you said. But yeah, ultimately, I mean, fee, the horse like all that stuff. Oh, yeah. The horseback hunts, though, are amazing. I love the, I guess you can almost call it like the romantic atmosphere that it sets. I mean, you're going in there on the way in there. You're watching the horses. You get in there and you set your camp. And, I mean, that's part of the whole experience is having a camp like that, setting a high line for the horses because you're you know, any to, any sort of backcountry, you're not supposed to tie horses to trees. So you have to set a high line in between the trees. And I mean, it's, there's such cool aspects of, of the horseback hunts. And especially when you do it on your own. I mean, if you go with, with someone that's just like, Hey, here we go. Like they're taking care of horses. It's, it's awesome because you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about it, but then it takes away kind of from the whole adventure of the, of the hunt is being able to, because like I said, part of that is taking care of the horses and making sure they're, they're being taken care of. And, um, but I don't know, like I said, the pros and cons are definitely there of horses. Once you get something shot, it's amazing because <laughs> you mean, yeah. you're going to save your back a lot of heartache. And once you're going in, you can have an amazing camp. You can have a wall tent, you can have a wood stove, you can have good food. Um, and so, like I said, I don't know. I, I think the pros are definitely outweigh the cons, but it definitely is a time where you're like, okay, is this going to be worth it? And for me, I'm super lucky because my dad, he's all about horses and packing and not as like, I would say horses and packing come first and hunting second, where to yeah. me, it's like hunting's first horse and packing second, because I, I have the luxury of having that because of my dad, because yeah. I know he's going to be, I mean, he takes care of the horses. He rides all year. The horses are always conditioned and in shape. I I'm always the one like, so I set up all the packs, I get them all weighed and, you know, I create everything like that and he takes care of the horses. And so it's, we have a pretty good mutual relationship to where it's like, okay, I, t I get everything ready. Um, if we have multiple people coming with us, you know, I tell them how much weight they can bring. So I kind of handle all of those logistics things. And then that way, when he, when we show up to the trailhead, he doesn't have to worry about stuff. That's all on me. And yeah. so he doesn't have to worry about the horses and everyone and all the gear and so it kind of helps out that way a lot because if you put it all on one person it's just it's a huge headache no oh, it is um it's just so funny to hear you talk about it because I, I i feel like we look at like there's times on horseback hunts where i'm like i don't know if this is worth it <laughs> like i do feel like it's much easier just to hike my ass in here having said that pulling a bull out 10 12 15 miles out is is a no-go um but uh but it's, it's so stressful during when you're doing it. And then afterwards, like you're like, when you remember it, it seems like you only remember the, the really cool pieces of it, uh, which is probably true about a lot of things in life and a lot of misery, so to speak. But man, it's, it's so true. They're so stressful at times. And then 
there's moments where you're like, this is the most epic shit ever. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're just riding out and, you know, Aspen's and, you know, like uh, there's a point this year we were riding out and we're, we're pulling out three bowls at once. And, you know, so like looking back and there's like three sets of r- six point racks, you know, on horses and we're riding through these Aspen trees. And I'm like, man, this is like, this is what dreams are made of right here. This is the coolest thing ever. And then there's times where like you're dealing with rodeos and, and like, you know, packs won't stay on and everything keeps tipping and you're like this, I'm over it. <laughs> so over oh, it yeah. right now. No, I think even just the aspect of you can't hunt all day when you have horses mm-hmm. because you have to go back and take care of them. And, and so like, you can't it. just leave. Luckily what we started doing, we started bringing in alfalfa cubes. Yeah. That way we actually could hunt all day and then we could take them back and, you know, feed them the alfalfa cubes versus before it was just, you know, we'd have to go back and hobble them and let them graze and, and all that kind of stuff. So you'd go get a morning hunt and you have to come back and you go back out in the afternoon. And like the one spot we go in the back country, we're down in the bottom of the, of the draw. So everywhere you're hunting, you have to go up. And so yeah. it, it, it becomes so time consuming. And you're, there's a lot of times before we started bringing the cubes in there, it was like, Oh crap, we got to go take care of the horses. And like, we just yeah. got, we just worked our butts off getting all the way up here. Now we got to turn around and go back down just to yeah. come right back up here. And so, I mean, there's definitely ways to make it easier. Those alfalfa cubes are, are one amazing thing. You can just dump them out. And, and then, then that way, if you come back from a hunt early and you have time, you can still hobble them and let them, you know, supplement the cubes with grazing versus trying to graze. And, you know, like I said, my dad's horses are always very well conditioned, which means they have hardly any fat on them. So on a, you know, seven day hunt, they're, they're losing weight in the back country, even if they grazed, you know, all yeah. day. And so like I said, the, the factors the horses bring in, I mean, are some of the coolest factors and some of the worst factors all at the same time. The best case scenario, if anyone wants to get into horses, find yourself an old timer that likes horse camping first and hunting second, because that is the number one situation. Like you got camp cook, you got horse tender, like I would, yeah, I would do horse horseback hunts every single time if I had someone to sit at camp and take care of horses, water the horses, deal with it. Because like, it's funny because I feel like my hunting's hunting's gotten so hardcore that rarely am I back before you know daylight if you know at all like and it could be hours after daylight or after after dark or whatever it may be um like this time in Idaho like I I would wanted to kill a big buck and so I was having to climb 2,000 feet elevation and go four miles so I was leaving like two hours three hours before dark and you know getting back stupid lakes I climbed 2,000 feet I didn't exactly want to you know just morning hunt and come back so it's like the, the more hardcore your hunting gets the less you're around camp and then it's like you know then you're the guy that doesn't ever deal with horses or doesn't have to you know water the horses or whatever so you kind of feel guilty it's like okay i'll i'll, I'll go easy today and i'll come back and water you guys go deep or whatever but you know best case scenario i always say is like man find yourself an old timer that likes to horseback no oh, yeah and that's where i'm super lucky with my dad because that's exactly what i've got that's what i always tell people i'm like it's perfect because he likes <laughs> the trips and i like the hunt and yeah. it works out to being beneficial for both of us um but yeah like i said definitely the the stresses of horses are always there but like if you have someone that is willing to kind of help you out and kind of teach you um it definitely pays off dude on that um backcountry elk hunt stuff that rifle early season rifle what's your thought on that hunt i mean sound i mean look like you kind of got into some people would you do it again uh, like what's your thought like is it is it harder than it it's worth or i don't know i guess just curious what your thought on that hunt is 
you know, like, so when we were in it and right after it, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Like, that was stupid. <laughs> like, it's hot. It's then there's no, there's hardly any elk. But then, like, like, I caught myself a lot when I was watching that video or editing it. I'd be like, oh, there's no elk here. But then I was like, okay, we saw three cows opening day, like an hour into the hunt. Yeah. We had a bull bugling. So I'm like, I, I shouldn't have said there's no elk here because there was elk there. Um, I think the hindsight is I wish we would have stayed in that first spot and just grinded it out. But in our mindset, never being there, we're like, oh, there's greener pastures somewhere. Yeah, yeah so We're like, okay, we're going to go somewhere else. And that hunt, it's, it's, it, it's a, if you're looking for an adventure hunt, like I said that in the video a lot, the adventure was there. And the craziest thing is that if we could go in that exact same spot next year and there could be three herds of elk in that one basin right above camp. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with elk. You never know where they're going to be. There's wolves in there. I mean, the wolves definitely hit that area really hard. We saw one on the way out. Um, so, I mean, the wolves are there, but if you're lucky and the wolves chase the elk into where you're hunting, then you're set. Yeah. And so, um, I think the biggest thing though would be the temperature, which is the same with archery elk. I mean, any September hunt, you're running that risk. And you know, that, I think that's where a lot of guys, if they're archery elk hunting, they kind of change their playbook to be a little closer to the truck when it's super warm outside, because if they shoot it, they got to get it out in time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But then, like I said, after, now that I've been editing the videos or I guess I'm pretty much done with them now, we've got one more releasing today, actually Thursday. And, uh, I, part of me was like, I kind of want to go back in there. And I think it was just, I didn't, I didn't want to get defeated that bad. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, now we know, I think going, going in, we had no idea. We didn't know what the trails, we didn't know country, we didn't know anything. Now that we kind of have an idea, okay, we, we know the trails suck. So that way, when we go in there, we're not going to have this down on ourselves about the trails sucking. We already know they suck. So you eliminate that problem right there. And then, okay, we know we're probably going to have to hunt all the way up on top. So there's no, you know, like this year when we were in there, it was kind of that unknown of crap. Now we got to go hunt up there. And so you were down on yourself about that. Yeah. I think you'd be able to eliminate a lot of those factors that we didn't know this year. Um, you might be that, able to find that a country horse camp huge. high too, though. What's that? You might be able to find a horse camp up high. Yeah. And that was our biggest thing is if we could find a horse camp up high with some water we're like you could ultimately we just run the ridges on top of these basins bugling down then that way like that bull we got going if we could have shot him we could have got horses within a mile we could have had them packed out we could have had them out a lot quicker than Mm -hmm. if we would have had like this year would have been like i don't think we could have got them out before it spoiled and so i think i don't know part of me like i said keeps wanting to go i'm I'm kind of 50 50 right now because like October, November are my crazy times with hunts, um, especially with, you know, with the icon tour, um, we're, we've always done rifle. And so it's like October, November, crazy busy. So September is my least busiest month. And so if I want to, you know, hunt with the rifle, then that's about the only hunt you can hunt in September with a rifle. Dude, you should look at that. I shouldn't even say this on a podcast. You should look at that, uh, backcountry hunt. There's a backcountry rifle hunt in Montana. Oh, really? Yeah, we should. See, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I mean, well, you meant Wyoming, right? Yeah, that one in Wyoming. We'll talk later. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I think across this uh, across the country, there's a few. Um, and I mean, they're not easy. They're not fun. They're not. They're not cool. Huh? No. I mean, there's. There. I don't think they're any secret. Uh, it's like the Idaho one. I don't consider that one a secret. It's just like it's, no. It's there's only cool. there's only one hunt in Idaho that opens September fifteenth for a rifle. Uh, yeah, it's not unless a you draw a tag. Yeah. And especially when you see the country we're in, you're like, okay, I, I kind of know where that's at. Yeah. But ultimately people are like, hey, I'm not working like that to get in there. I mean, we had 
I mean, the road system getting into where we were was terrible. Like on our way out, we had, we ran into a trailer that was coming down the hill and they kind of slid off the road. I mean, there was, there were so many different factors that hunt that sucked. But then, like I said, it's, it was one of those hunts that I keep replaying over my mind after the season was over that I'm like, okay, that was kind of cool at the same time. It's so and funny how that happens, how you go on a hunt and be like, oh, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and then like, as, as you like season or the year goes on, you're like, that was kind of fun. You know, and like you just naturally forget all the bad things that happen. And then you're like, I kind of want, and it's especially if it kicks your butt, like, you know what happened and you're like, oh, okay, I got to get back. I got a redemption. If I would have done this this and this we would have killed you know like i dude i think it's hilarious how that happens oh i think then if you end up do going back in there and you do kill like how much sweeter is that hunt versus one where you go out the first day and shoot a bull um like you had years of heartache going into that elk as opposed to you know a couple days couple days and so like i said i i don't know that it's definitely still on my radar as as a possibility for this year just because like i said the elk were there, even though I said they weren't there. They were there. We, we saw three cows. We had the bull. So it's like, okay, they're there. And and to get to where that bull was, like, I, I about guarantee you going to where that bull was bugling. And I about guarantee there would be elk in that basin yeah. next year. I mean, just the way. I mean, it was it was so big, and it went down into the main river drainage. And I think they'd be there. It's just a matter of how can we hunt it differently. To Dude, the way that bull was bugling, there was, there, was, there was cows in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was bugling about every time and then he went quiet and that's when we were sitting up on top. And I think that's where you mentally are just like, Oh, you kind of give up. And I think, like I said, I think that was the factor of that hunt was we were down on ourselves for every little thing that it was like, okay, no, we're not going to go because you know, it was, it was easy to talk ourselves out of it. Well, the trail system is bad. That's the heat. There were so many different things. In hindsight, though, and that's what happens, and people underestimate that so bad, and I talk about this all the time. It's like it's never like the one thing that makes you make a bad decision. It's multiple tough, stressful things that lead to bad decisions or indecision or whatever it may be, and it's never like, oh, you know, we had a perfect trip in here, and then, I, you know, like I made this decision, and we went somewhere else, or the, I thought the grass was greener. It's always going to be very stressful. Everything is different. Everything's going wrong compared to what you, you know, wrong is a relative term, but everything is, is harder. Everything's like just not going as planned. And then you start like, okay, you know, this is a great example. You had elk. You thought that you should be seeing more elk. In the back of your head, you knew that this unit had very, very few elk. And yeah. like in hindsight, you're like, God, that was dumb. Like, why did we leave elk to go try to find, like we were going to find oh, yeah. some Mecca of elk, but that's exactly what happens is, you know, you dealt with horses all the way in, you dealt with bad trails. Uh, you know, maybe it took longer camp wasn't as good as you thought, like all these things. And then pretty soon you're like making not bad decisions. You're just making decisions that ended up in non-success and it dude, it happens every oh, time. Yeah. And nobody I, get, I mean, it. even not bad decisions, it's, it's, it's excuses. You make yeah. excuses to, to, that in my mind you're like okay maybe maybe we should just go out and try something you know and like i said if we were just grinding it out i mean like the heat yeah but probably in the bottom of that basin where that bowl was it was a lot cooler i mean up on top was definitely a lot warmer and so i was like okay we probably could you know like i said in hindsight you're always like okay i should have done this a lot different i think that's one thing you take away from every hunt is like that you know why were we leaving elk to go find elk when we had no idea what this other place was like so then my buddy Chalice and I, we went into that other place we were going to two weeks later and we couldn't even got the horses like a mile down that trail. 
So ultimately we wouldn't have been able, I mean, we, we backpack in and went up, you know, went straight up and I did a bonsai trip and ultimately we couldn't have got the horses. So we would have been shooting ourselves in the foot with that also. Yeah. So it's like, we had the elk there. I mean, those cows were, like I said, they weren't that far from camp. We could have just focused. Maybe that bull that was bugling. I mean, he was as, as far as an elk, he could have been over in that basin within yeah, an hour. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, <laughs> I mean, hindsight, like I said, we definitely probably should just stay back in there, but we we're already down on ourselves. And I think that's, like you said, that's what kind of leads to those decisions of, you know, of misdecision that you want to do. You're like, you talk yourself out of it. And even the craziest thing is even when you're in there, I think, you know, you're kind of doing that, but yeah. it's like you, I don't know. It's, it's a crazy thing. And I think, like I said, especially for me when it's elk, cause like I said, I'm not a great elk. And like, if there's mule deer, I can be like, okay, I can kind of know what to figure out from mule deer, but elk, I'm like, okay, well, that's, that bull's bugling. What's he actually doing? I have no idea. Like, yeah. dude, and that's where confidence plays in everything. Like oh, it is. I'm, I'm the reverse of that. So I will like, if it's an elk situation, I'm very, very confident. And I'll, I'm, I'm probably going to make it happen because I have that confidence. Yeah. In a mule deer situation, I, I lack the confidence and make indecision based on that lack of confidence. So it's like, ah, I don't know. Like that, buck, that buck's probably just gone. He'll, you know, he probably disappeared. Like that's what big bucks do. And then I should just go over here. Like it's just funny how small decisions add up. And I do think that one thing people underestimate is like how big adventure hunts play into those bad decisions more than you think i promise you this like you start never wants to go on big adventure hunts uh high risk high reward but those type of hunts wear on you in a different way than like let's say the average dude used to go hunting let's take a colorado hunt um you know like the colorado hunt you and i were on a couple years ago not overly like it's stressful in a different way like yeah, there's a lot of people uh yeah it's hard to find deer but it's not overly stressful in a risk reward type way of like a backcountry like man i almost died on the trail in here like 14 yeah. times i think a horse almost fell off a cliff you know like that's that's stressful and then you start making decisions based on that so i think when people go from let's say a colorado mule deer hunt um which is stressful but in a different way and then they start going to these backcountry hunts you know whether it's rifle whether it's bill whatever like the the stress that puts into your system makes you make bad decisions and you have to be aware of that you have to sometimes sit down and be like okay if i was post hunt 10 days what would i think about what i should do now and sometimes i'll do that where i'm like okay i want to quit this place sucks uh there's no elk here i think i should go to this other plan b i had but 10 days from now, how would I approach this? Or how would I think about the decision I'm about to make? Um, because sometimes you just like, you just make bad decisions when you're overly stressed. Oh yeah. It's like that, that hunt definitely was like the pinnacle of that. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. And it was just like, okay, like you said, like that mule deer hunt in Colorado, it's like it, I didn't do it this year, but it grew to one of my favorite hunts just because it was so not stressful. It was like an enjoyable time. Like we did a lot different like than you and Craig were doing. Like we rented a house down there. I mean, we were eating good food every night. Like it was more of a hangout really than yeah. a hunt. And we, we shot some deer, but I mean, we, we mostly were just driving around and glassing and spotting deer and then making moves on them. Like we made yeah. it super easy and you can make any hunt. Like you guys were, you guys were going in early in the morning and going way back into places. And like we were driving around and glassing. And so yeah. I think you can make, any hunt as stressful as you want it to be. But I think for me, 
doing so many hunts a year now, like I need some of those hunts that are almost not a, not a gimme, but like a low stress hunt. Cause oh, like, okay, sure. I'm just going to have, go have fun. Like, I don't even care if I shoot anything. Like <laughs> I just want to go have fun and watch other people shoot things. And so like they said, it's, it's different on the different hunt that you were on and what you're expecting out of it. Like we put a lot of pressure, like on a backcountry hunt, you put so much time and preparation as far yeah. as, going in there and then when you're in there and then you know how much work it's going to be when you if you win and if you shoot something and and coming out and then so i think you, there's so much more pressure there that you, like you said you definitely make decisions that normally you might not would have if you were like i'm just gonna have a fun time like, yeah. I don't care. like let's bomb in after that bull i don't care if we bust yeah. him we bust him who cares and probably nine times out of ten you would have went in there and you could, probably could have shot that elk if like you said that confidence is huge as yeah. opposed to well, I don't know, like, oh man, if I knew for sure I could get him, a maybe, you know, type of deal, <laughs> as opposed to just saying, I'm going to go in there and who cares if I blow him out of the country, I blow him out of the country. And I think that is a, I mean, I don't know. I think, like I said, that confidence is huge and that confidence takes away a lot of stress. If you're confident, you're not as stressed out about something. I, I so feel like that saying, was like my greatest thing when it comes to elk is I stopped caring if I was going to bump an elk or if I was going to screw it up. Um, for a long time, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going after every elk. Like, let's just do this. And I stopped caring. Like if, if, you know, people thought I was going to bump them or what other people thought, or if I was going to bump them or not. And I was going in, like I was going to kill every single elk. And, and I think that happened when I started passing elk, like, cause one of the greatest thing I ever did was like, okay, I'm like in my head, it was like, I'm probably not even going to shoot this elk. Then it was like a care, total carefree situation. Yeah. Um, whereas when I was just trying to find an elk and kill it, and I thought that was the hardest thing in the world. Like I was like, Oh God, you know, playing it safe and, Oh, should I do this or should I do that? And then I spent a lot of years just like not caring. Like I was like, let's, I don't know, let's walk down there and find out. And, uh, it was funny because this year in particular, like, I, I don't really care anymore. I've passed so many elk that it's like, I, I, I'll, if I start to get in my own head and like, Oh man, you know, I don't want to screw this up. I was like, I don't care if I bump myself. It does not matter. And it's tough when you get into like a shooter bowl that you haven't, you know, it's been a long time or whatever. And there was a really, really big bull. He was not in a great situation. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to get in my own head and I'm going to screw this up. I was like, I need to go down there. Like this is a, you know, a small bull and just like, this is the situation. Let's go, let's go kill him. And that's exactly how it worked out. And it was funny because if I would have gotten my own head and said, this is a giant, you need to play it safe. You need to do this different. Like I probably would have screwed it up. I almost guarantee I would have screwed it up. Yeah. But like, I now have the confidence that I'm not worried about screwing it up. I'll be able to find that bull again or whatever it may be. I just know that I'm more, I'm, I get more opportunities when I stop caring, but I'll, I'll just to pick on myself a little bit. I don't do that with deer. It's funny. Cause like, I'll see a big buck and think like inherently that I don't have the skills to kill that buck or some, you know, weird thing. And like, I'll get in my head or play it too safe or, you know, I'll think, Oh man, you know, he's gone or he's gone forever or whatever. Like, it's just so funny how, you know, you talk about elk, but you're so confident with deer. I'm the reverse. Like I, I'm gonna be like, Oh, I'll walk down and kill an elk, but deer, I'm like, we should sit here and, or watch him. And then I'm like, Oh, he's gone forever. <laughs> you know, it's just so yeah. funny. Oh, it is. And like, it's the added stress too. like with me now is with my kids and like my wife, like my wife, Amber, she, she shot a really great bull two years ago, I guess a bull elk. And then she drew that moose tag. And it was like, like, I didn't show it on the video, but like before I started calling to that bull, when it started coming over, we were sitting across the the big draw and it was 600 yards away bedded. And I was like, okay, we can either go around the basin and come over and come up on top of them 
But then I was like, okay, if he busts, he's going through the quakey. She's not going to be able to get on him quick enough to shoot him. And I was like, so I, I sat there for 45 minutes, like with my head down, just thinking of every possible scenario, just stressed <laughs> out to the max because it wasn't my hunt. And yeah. it's your wife's hunt who's really not that big into hunting at all. Like she's only shot one animal. And so it's like, I sat there for 45 minutes and then finally, I was like, okay, let's just try to call it. Cause I was like, if it was me, I would have walked around that hillside, came over on top of it. The moose would have stood up moose being, I mean, they're not, they're not super skittish. Like we bumped one earlier on the way to stalking that big bull. And it, but then in my mind, I'm like, okay, what if this bull, he's big for a reason. What if he jumps up and just takes off? Yeah. Like for me, I would have just walked over there and, and, and shot it. But ultimately it worked out amazing because we called that bull in over 500 yards and he was grunting and raking all the way in and came into 130 yards. My wife shot him in the, like the only opening that we had in this draw. Cool. And it, like I said, it made the hunt way more exciting. And like I said, I would have done things different if it was for myself, but when it was someone else, you know, I tried to be the more least invasive, kind of like when you talk about mule deer, you see a mule deer down there, like, well, let's just sit and watch him. Let's just sit and watch and you sit and watch him for two hours. And when in that, you could have been down in shooting position in 45 minutes. And it's yeah. always that like hindsight, like, man, he stayed there for that long. If I would have moved right when I did, but in that, in that, the whole time you're watching, you're having that internal battle of, well, if I take off right now and he leaves, I'm going to lose him. As yeah. opposed to if I leave right now, I'm going to get down. I'm just going to shoot him. Like I said, so I think that's the common. It's like, okay, if I can get it right there, I'm going to shoot him from right there and it'll be done. And it could be done in a half an hour. And you talk yourself into just watching and just keep watching and keep watching. And you're like, okay, well now it's too late to do anything. Yeah. And so I don't know, like I said, that, that the, the confidence you have on different hunts is amazing. And I don't know if it depends on the animal and, um, Ultimately, maybe like for me, I should be looking at places where I can hunt elk more like a mule deer. I'd probably be a lot more successful elk hunter if I get if I just hunted them like a mule deer as opposed yeah. to trying to do the quintessential bugle them in and you know all that kind of stuff. And so I think you got to look at every hunt and just try to figure out what are your strong suits and what what can you bring to the table that's going to help you make you successful versus thinking about what you're going to do wrong. And like I said, there's a lot, there's so many things that you can do wrong. You, but if you think about those, you're going to do them wrong. If you think about everything you're going to do right, most of the time you're going to have a lot better success. Dude, that's hundred uh, percent. Man, that's, that's really good advice. Um, thank you so much, man. Everyone, we're going to put links in the show notes to go check out the icon tour uh, species. Siri, how, how do you say it? Icon tour species. How's the title? I can do with the species. Icon species. species. Out of the- Either way, icon tour, switch back outdoors. You'll find Yeah, it. go check out. So we'll put links in there to switch back outdoors. Uh, yeah, all good stuff. Uh, the backcountry elk hunts, pretty awesome. The uh, the moose the moose hunts really cool. I think it's probably my favorite so far. Oh, um, dude, like I a lot of people say that was their favorite video we've ever done. I think because it, it came down to that raw emotion after I yeah, watched oh, that yeah. bull. The raw emotion was she was like, "You got to take that out. You have to take that out." And I'm like, "People will <laughs> love like that is real. Like there's no way you can make that up." And and people people love that. So it was awesome. You know, I've watched hunting my entire life and uh, the you know watching some dude shoot something and then him being like all braggado or not even braggadocious even humble like someone's like oh yeah it was a good hunt like i it doesn't really spark it for me but when you know like your wife shoots that moose and that emotion that comes through it's like that was cool you know i the, i tend to like that more no, um uh, but you know again i consume things differently but anyway exactly. i'll put links in the show notes uh anything else i mean you guys got some awesome giveaways like what all tell us the audience i guess a little bit about it why they should go watch it yeah so we so we really 
started releasing the icon tour January 3rd. We're going into the middle of February with these videos. We give away a prize on every video, whether it be like on this upcoming video, we're giving away a Kafaro Ontario backpack. We've given away a, a phone scope package, knives. So we give away something major on every episode. And then uh, like the grand prize that we're giving away is we, we're giving away a SIG Cross, a 308 with a BDX system. So you get the Kilo 3000 binoculars and the Sierra 6 scope. And so, yeah. um, so that's kind of like our, our big main, I guess, promotion is, is that rifle. But like the cool thing is we give away something on every episode, which I think keeps people excited. Um, and then I mean, ultimately if they're a new viewer and if they come watch to watch how to figure out how to win some prizes, but then they end up getting hooked. I mean, that's great. And, you know, and so, um, but then also we give away, we do like a, a screenshot. So if you watch the videos on like your phone, you screenshot and you tag us on the social media with like the hashtag switchback screenshot and we give away a prize package from there. So we give away two different prizes on every episode. And then we got the grand prize from the SIG cross and the 308 and the BDX system. Um, and ultimately I think this year has been cool just because we last two years has been all about mule deer. And so this year has been kind of fun to have the elk brought into it and, and the moose, um, the whitetail hunt was one of my favorites. It's we're going to end the icon tour with the whitetail hunt. We went, went back with the red Rath family in South Dakota. And that was just an amazing hunt. Just one of the like super chill, relaxing, fun hunt that Jim and I both shot really great whitetail bucks. His, I guess it was his second whitetail buck and it was my first whitetail and it turned out to be an amazing hunt. So we're going to, we're going to end with that. We've got the backcountry mule deer hunt coming up in a few weeks. That's kind of like the one we talked about with the three generations last year. We did that hunt again and my oldest son made an amazing shot in a really cool mule deer buck. And, uh, that whole, like those, those are probably one of my favorite hunts is those, the, the backcountry hunt, especially with like my dad and my son. So you have three generations in there. That's but, awesome. And then we've got a lot of big things planned for this, this upcoming year. The icon tour for 2022 release is going to be, it should be pretty epic if, if it all goes as planned. So nice. it, it, it should be cool, but yeah, yeah no, we, like, like I said, we appreciate anyone watching our stuff and we know there's a lot of different YouTube channels out there and a lot of content. So if people are watching our stuff, we, we truly appreciate it. Like I said, we have a lot of different things they can be watching. And so it's, it's just been fun watching the, the growth over the years. Well, awesome, man. And congrats. Uh, can we, I don't know if you like booked up, can we give like a 12 month subscription to backcountry fuel box? Is that a thing? Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> we can do that for sure. Okay. Well, well, I know we're going to talk about that a little later too, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that'd be, that'd be something cool to do. Cause we I actually just brought on it. We're going to do another episode. So that'd be, that'd be perfect. There you go. We'll do that. Um, Alrighty, man. Well, thanks again. And, uh, everybody go check out the, the icon tour. It's pretty awesome. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, and thanks again, man, for jumping on. No, thanks a lot. Alrighty guys. Thanks for tuning in to the elk hunt podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our elk hunt 201 course. It's a four step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, if you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.